Everybody and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. I'm Jay Reed, I'm the father. And I'm Jacob Reed, the son, and we're your hosts. All right, Dad, it is time to roll the dice and talk about the hobby that has taken way too much of my money in the last, like, six to eight months. Maybe, eh, 18. And what would that be? Uh, um, surely, I hope it's not gambling. You're not going to the casino, are you? No, no, no. I'm not going to the casino, but I am rolling dice because today we're going to talk about board games. Okay. And I remember you um, during the uh, quarantine period, especially when uh, in the early days of the virus that shall not be named, uh, we were all home together for two weeks and we could spend a considerable amount of time with you teaching us new board games during that season. I remember teaching y'all one specifically. And then Lauren taught us that card game, the the pirates card game or something. And we played a lot of that one. I can't remember exactly what it was called though. We did. And I guess when you think about games, one of the ones that we played was that taco goat, taco whatever. cat goat cheese pizza. Right. So is, is that a board game or a card game? And maybe you need to, Give us some definitions here. Oh, definitions. That's tough. Um, so board games across the board usually determine. Good one. Good yeah, one. Yeah, are, are most of the time, most commonly, anything that has some sort of board, a.k.a. Uh, a flat surface that you're playing on. It usually is, is themed. And then also that's what you might move your pieces on or or stuff like that. And then, you know, for example, Taco Cat Gar- Goat Cheese Pizza falls under the, the realm of a card game um because there's not a board that not a board per se but it's moving still, pieces around on mm-hmm. but they would still kind of fall under the the view of that hey that could probably be considered in the the grand scheme of the modern gaming movement specifically in in analog games i mean even and then there's even deeper things of strategy versus party so taco cat goat cheese pizza which is a highly recommended game we love it is uh, would be considered a party game because you can play it with a larger group of people. Gotcha. And I guess a board game to some degree has a limited amount of people that can play based on how many pieces there are. Yeah. And based upon the way the game is played. So most game board games today play anywhere from one to four, one to five is your, your normal range. And then sometimes you'll find one where like we can handle up to six. I have a board game that handles up to six. Um, but that's just because the way it's played. But some of these, if you played with six people, you'd be sitting there for two or three hours. Days. Yeah. So diving a little bit into the history of board games, board games are about as old as human civilization. So dad, what do you think the first board game ever was? The first one, I actually looked this up. I can't remember the name of it, but. Something about Ur. Was that the oldest one? Oh, no. We're going even before that. What do you before think? Before Ur? Before the royal game of Ur. Before Ur? Before Ur. What do you think was before Ur? Well, it's, it's not chess, I don't think. I think chess came later, but it's old. It was just um, dice. Just rolling just, dice. I like the Urim and the Thummim. Did I get that right? Did I say that right? I'm I'm not 100% Come on, sure. seminary student. <laughs> 
Uh, Ehrman uh, is Ehrman. <laughs> golly, you're the worst sometimes. <laughs> but yes, dice, just rolling dice and playing games based upon dice was the earliest form of board gaming. And, you know, huh. we still use dice to this day. I mean, I have, looking at my bookshelf, I probably have anywhere from six to eight games that work exclusively on a mechanism of a dice rolling. And then Ur had the Royal game. So it's literally what it's called the Royal game of Ur. Uh-huh. And that was in the, you know, maybe 20 some or two thousands BC, maybe a little before that. And even um, in Egypt in 3100 BC, uh, they had a board game called Senate S E N E T. Yeah, and then uh, on the article that I found, it got connected to religion. So for some places, uh, board games were connected to their religion. On They worshipped the god through playing of a game. Um, Senet, in particular, was kind of a luck-based game. You disappeared on me for a second. And then I got a message saying your connection is unstable. You may want to stop and improve if you're recording. Could you hear me or did I? No, you, it just like froze and I couldn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden it was 10 seconds later and you were back. Let me see if it's. I'm afraid if I change networks, it'll throw us off, but it's been fine up to that moment. Okay. But, um, I don't was know. the last thing you heard? Senate. You said you, you said the oldest one was called Senate, or there was one called Senate in ancient Egypt, and then you disappeared. Okay, I'll I'll just start with Senate, and then um, we'll go from there. All right. Okay. So there was a game called Senate, which was tied to religion because it was kind of a luck based game. So the winner was kind of considered those that had the Lord, or not the Lord, their God with them in the play. Okay, kind of like winning a war. If you won the battle, then the 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 god must have been with you. So mm-hmm. if you win the game, the god must be with you. Yeah, and we've already yeah some of those old games. It was interesting. I saw like they would have pictures of men sitting on each side of a board of some sort, like on old vases and on you know just in, in Egyptian tombs. I think there was one. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was the Senate or one was in Tutankhamun's tomb. Yeah. So yeah, I I was actually quite surprised to see how old some of these games were Mm -hmm. backgammon for example was a game it is considered one of the oldest longing running sorry the oldest running game from some and then the other one like that it's still being played like still being played that and the royal game of ur apparently has made some connections but i was really surprised my research about backgammon because apparently it has been around since before 2000 BC. Uh, yeah, some there was derivative some... of backgammon has been played, and that's one that I've actually played. I, I had a season where I played a lot of backgammon. I've actually I never played, played backgammon. Really, I've never. I haven't played it in a long time. But there was a, like it. It's backgammon was something that you know normally is or is commonly in a the, like the board can be folded up you mm-hmm. know and carried so it was an easy thing to have i had like a magnetic one that you could take on trips uh so that the pieces didn't fly everywhere when the bus made a stop or a turn or whatever mm-hmm. so that was that's something i learned to play i'm pretty sure on a bus trip 
uh, and played a good bit of, and I had friends that played it in like junior high kind of age chess. I never got, uh, around to what did you see? There was something about the origin of chess. It used to be before it was rooks and knights and pawns. It was something else. Yeah. I saw a little bit about that. The story I've always been told, it was was like a strategy war game based out Mm -hmm. of India. Um, okay. somewhere in the 400 ADs, according to this article, where they were w- trained to strategize for war by playing this game. And then when right. it moved to Europe, it became what we know today as chess. Okay. You see, when I think about old games, as far as my history, you know, I remember playing, I guess, as a young, young kid, um candy land that mm-hmm. was always a fun one um played a lot of monopoly uh back in the day um probably but that like monopoly you'd have to you'd have to a lot a certain amount of time you're talking about how how long things could go i mean monopoly can really go a long time so we didn't play a lot but mm-hmm. um or if we play we had to we had to set aside but the nice thing about that is you could always come back to it you know you could you could say well so and so's turn next time we come together. Yeah. Um, you could leave it set up and the game of life mm-hmm. played every now and then. Played life. The one that my friends played, speaking of war games, that I never really got that much into was Risk. Mm-hmm. You ever play Risk? I've I've played one or maybe two games of Risk. Um okay. it's a it's a long it's a long game. Um, right. and sometimes I just don't have that kind of time. <laughs> and it well, can, and Clue. It, it can be expensive. Oh yeah, Clue, a classic. I've played a lot Clue of Clue. Was the one I think that uh, we played a lot of Clue I, Junior. Remember that? That's true. We did. Who we ate did. the chocolate cake? Yeah, it was very, <laughs> very uh, kid kid uh, oriented with the with the uh, mm-hmm. whatever they call it. But yeah, I do remember that. But that's like an easy thing. We took a bunch of games when we moved overseas. We took a bunch of games, and mm-hmm. it was kind of a a link to home, mm-hmm. um, a link to familiarity. So it was fun when we kind of got back into that when during quarantine. Oh, yeah. I actually enjoyed that. Yeah, and just kind of wrapping up our history of board games. Board games got huge in the 80s in Europe um they it was kind of the resurgence of the modern board gaming movement where we had all of these new mechanisms which is like kind of how games are played and people were were going crazy about all these different ways to the point where we have board game styles that we call euro games because they're based upon european designs of board games to the point where there's a uh an award called the spiel des jahres i think is how you it's german it's probably with a lot more sure throat um but it is a board game award that if you are nominated your your sales typically jump either somewhere from the 500 to 3000 to even 10,000 copies more of your game for just being nominated and the winner is usually expected to sell anywhere from 300,000 to 500,000 more copies of their game good grief so when so what makes a european game different than something over here um, a lot of it uh, kind of goes down to mechanism. So a Euro style game involves a lot of like farming mechanism. Have you ever heard of the game Catan? No. Okay. So Catan is like the classic European uh, Euro style game. Um, it's a, it's called a gateway game. A lot of people, it's something they're interact with in like college. That's where I first played it. 
and it kind of gets you introduced introduced to modern board gaming. So it takes place you're on an island, and there's a bunch of hex tiles, so they're little hexagons with maybe they're clay or sheep or wood, um, and you roll a dice, and whatever it lands on, if you have um, either villages or cities on that, you get that um, you get a certain amount of resources. It involves negotiating, trading, building resources, um, gaining wealth so you can buy better things later. So that's kind of what a Euro-style game is. Um, Sounds very exciting. It is extremely exciting. Uh, my wife loves that game. Um, oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, she, she loves it because um, she loves negotiating and stuff like that. But that's just a, a small taste of what modern board gaming is. So like my personal favorite mechanism is called deck building, um, which is where you start with like a really weak deck of you, maybe five or 10 cards. You might have three money and two, two land or two points um, speaking specifically to dominion, which was the first uh, deck builder. And you slowly buy better cards and buy better cards and buy actions. And you're making these huge combos where you're playing, you know, all of a sudden you have like 6,000 cash, sitting there and and a thousand points it's never that high but you have all this money coming in you're buying all these cards over the course of the game um and then Mm. people took that mechanism from this basic game and there's a thousand deck builders out there that all do different things to the point where um have you ever heard of kickstarter kickstarter like raising money Mm -hmm. to fund your project yes the number one sellers on kickstarter now are board games that's the number one category so people will huh. design this new game and they're like, hey, we want to we wanna get this off the ground and let's go to Kickstarter. So they'll offer all this cool stuff you can get in Kickstarter. You can get uh, miniatures, you can get special promos and all this stuff. And people will drop hundreds of dollars. I've seen pledges that people will drop where it's like, if you pledge $500, you get your name on the box or you get to help us draw a character. And they'll have like 10 of those and they'll sell out in the first day. Like people are dropping insane amounts of money on this hobby. I've seen people's collections that have anywhere from 300 to 400 board games in their collection. So, and these are, and you're looking at a lot of these board games costing no less than 15, $20. And then Mm -hmm. some of the bigger ones going anywhere from a hundred to $150 a box. That's funny because I was, you know, one of my favorite places to shop is the uh, clearance aisle at our grocery store, local grocery store. And the other day there was a game. I can't. I wish I could remember the name of it. You might may or may not know it, but um, it was on sale and was still like fifty something dollars or forty something dollars, and that was on like nearly half price. Mm-hmm. So That's I was what, like, are you serious? <laughs> our, uh, our dirt cheap in blue mountain. Will you take monopoly money for that? Yeah. The, the dirt cheap in Monop or sorry, the dirt cheap <laughs> in blue mountain is really good. Cause it's a distribution center. You uh-huh. can get, um, I've actually gotten a couple board games like new in packaging there for super cheap, which was really fun. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a bigger deal than I thought, you know, when I was just, as we were talking, I re- thought about some more that I play of course, one of the top eight oldest that was listed was checkers. And that's, that's probably the first thing I learned to play and, mm-hmm. you know, was always a little better at that than chess. Chess just seems to t- take more thinking. You know, I can, I can play it, but I wasn't like a chess master by any stretch. Um, but Pente, do you remember Pente? I don't think I remember Pente. 
it it comes in a tube and you roll the board out and you have oh, these colored rocks. That was out of the used to love that game. Yeah, so I, that was probably the one I played the most. I actually bought a Pente strategy book. So that's that's probably my nerdiest board game moment. But also Mousetrap. Did you ever play Mousetrap? I've never actually played Mousetrap. I'm familiar with it though. I was jealous of, you know, friends that had I've never owned it, I don't think, but I had friends that have it and it you actually built this sort of Rube Goldberg machine mm-hmm. where, you know, you at the end of it if you had all the pieces set up just right, you know, that you would catch the mouse. But um it was very structural. Mm-hmm. I guess you call that a mechanism or whatever. Yeah. But I don't know how you you got points or pieces and you set all this up and then you know, it either worked or it didn't mm-hmm. at the end. And so, yeah, I've actually, so we've talked about this earlier. Uh, I have started to build a, a little bit of a collection. I probably have somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the realm of maybe 25, 30 games on my shelf. Um, and it has actually become a, a hobby, I would say through and through. Um, but it's also been great for our marriage because it allows me and my wife, I buy, primarily games that play well at two players uh-huh. um some of them can play more but we play a majority of our games at two players um and that we'll just do that for date night we'll we'll grab some dinner from our local chinese restaurant and play a board game or two and we have our favorites and we have some we love we have someone that we don't like that i'm probably going to try to sell soon and make room for for more make so room for more <laughs> yeah yeah i think you the word you used was curating your collection yes curating finding ones that we like keeping those and then opening up space for uh potential ones to come i've actually kickstarted my first game the other day um wow. it was a game that i like the publisher they're well known for big games and little boxes so their boxes are super small um but the games are like really meaty like most of the games take 45 minutes to an hour to play um and is this the same like of the exploding kittens people no, it's is called. That a, is called, that a board game or a card game? Uh, it's a card game. Um, okay, but it's called the Tiny Epic series. So this one is called Ragnarok. So or Vikings. So it's like a area control. So you have to like control areas of the board with your people, but you play as Vikings and try to incur the favor of the gods. So I'm super excited about that one. Kind of a, a Thor theme, it seems like. Oh yeah, Thor is actually one of the gods you can um, try to get favor from. So it's really cool. Okay. Cool. Well, so from from boards that you play on to boards that you eat on. Mm, there you go. I forgot we, we were going to talk vittles. about the vittles of part of yeah, this. Yeah, we got to have the vittles, man. Everything relates to food. Everything. So I guess two Christmases ago, mm-hmm. I think, was it? Um, Lindsay, your wife, and myself both got a cookbook of sorts, basically focusing on charcuterie boards. Mm-hmm. So... That's what we're going to talk about the, the, not a game, obviously, but how to, you know, what is a charcuterie board and how to set one up and, you know, looking a little into the history of a charcuterie board. Basically, we, if you haven't seen one, the short definition of it is, it's basically, it literally is a board and it sometimes it's wooden, sometimes it's slate, it can be melamine, just anything that's food safe, basically, mm-hmm. um, topped with, Meats and cheeses and all sorts of chutneys or jellies or crackers. And um, we'll get more into that in a minute. But um, essentially, charcuterie is kind of a French thing that 
I, to be honest, I looked up definitions and came. I saw like at least three different definitions where people said in in the original language it stood for this, but you know, and then the next next website it would be something slightly different. But it's basically the curing of meat. So I, I forget what the uh, how the word you know the French word is is broken up, but it's generally pork. I mean, as far as pork is the uh, part of the definition or the original meaning of the word, but it doesn't have to be pork. It can be all kinds of other, other meats, but you'll have like your prosciutto, your salsa on, I'm sure I'm butchering pronunciations, but um, it's your salamis. Mm -hmm. um, Italian equivalent to charcuterie would be salumi. I think I read that. And so essentially it's, it's preserved meats. So you get into the history of, you know, why, why do we do this? If you look back, you figure out, well, on one hand, charcuterie was developed because people didn't want to waste. You mm -hmm. know, you're in a situation where you, you've got this animal and some of it is used for, you know, if it's used for, you know, pork chops and bacon, but you still have offal, which is the other parts that are not as commonly eaten, but you can make sausage out of them, which that phrase, uh, you know, learning how the sausage is made. And sometimes you want to know it. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. uh, like you don't really want to tour the hot dog factory probably. Um, but there's, that's, that's part of it is using other parts of, you know, that's still good meat, but maybe something you're not going to uh, have at lunch. So you got the, and then there's also preservation. You take those parts or whatever, even if it's, you know, prime meat, um, you're drying it, you're curing it, you're salting it. You're, you're making it last longer. So way in the way back of time when we didn't have good refrigeration or we didn't have, um, you know, other you know, freezers, things like that, that would preserve food, then the uh, salting and curing, those kind of things um, would keep the meat lasting longer than it normally would. So jumpstart to today charcuterie is very fashionable they have um, blown up to the point where we're going past cured meats i've seen charcuterie boards of pizza sushi what the right. question is can we call that is, even a charcuterie board well that's what i did read there's there's the traditional charcuterie which is going to be primarily focused on the on the cured meats and then you have quote unquote modern charcuterie which is just a board full of stuff that you put together. So it can be a ice cream Sunday board, or it can be, like you said, a pizza board, or I've seen waffle boards. And I think this cookbook that we got has all that, mm -hmm. all those options are in it. Um, so you've gone from a charcuterie board to other boards that reflect that sort of go. Everything's kind of laid out on the table. It's very stylized. Board. Yeah. You, yeah, it, it, it's pretty. It's, it's going to have an aesthetic value to it as well. And you're going to have, um, you know, whatever you want. But if it's true charcuterie, it's going to be meat. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you get your components of the charcuterie board. You'd have, you'd have your cured meats, you know, whether it's salami or uh, prosciutto or whatever, whatever you like. Uh, usually you would have different kinds, different flavors, uh, different textures. You want to have some, some differences. Um, and then, you know, different kinds of sausage, whatever. And then the next thing would be different cheeses. Uh, usually you have cheeses that are, are going to pair 
well with the meats. And then if you like, you can have crackers of some sort. Um, and all this kind of varies. You know, I was looking at a, at one, one person's sort of building instructions of building a board. And a lot of it has to do with how, how many people you're trying to feed and mm-hmm. the size of the board and all that. You can go crazy. Um, but the idea is to pair different things and to provide contrast. If you got a creamy cheese and a hard, a hard salami and a cracker with very little extra flavor, you know, like a, a water cracker versus like a rye thing Mm -hmm. with maybe fruits in it or whatever. Um, you want things that will pair well together. So sometimes you might have actually fruit, dried fruit or apple slices or something on a board. You might have, um, I think the one, maybe y'all had one with like a hot mustard on it. That would we be, did. we had a hot um, mustard. We really like putting mustard on our charcuterie boards. Cause usually a, a, a sharp mustard goes really well with a, like a salami and stuff like that. Right. It, it adds a lot to the flavor kind of it has a nice bite where some of the other, the cheese and, or the salami may be a really rich flavor. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you might have olives or some sort of relish or chutney or something, or the mustard or uh, other kind of sauces, maybe even a jelly. Sometimes you have a jam or a jelly on there, like a, like a pepper jelly. I never thought of this as charcuterie, but I know when, you know, growing up, my mom would have the cracker and the cream cheese, or maybe a slice of cheddar and a little pepper jelly. jelly on top. And you know, you wouldn't call that charcuterie. Do what? I said with the jelly on top. It's good stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't know that that that's not true charcuterie, but, it is um, sort it of go on a charcuterie board, the, though, huh? It would, it would, it, it would go on a board, really though, would, for sure. So that's kind of where where it came from and what it looks like. And I've just noticed, like we we have a place here, uh, restaurant Tyler and the guest room, a couple places where charcuterie is kind of a big thing. You know, he really likes charcuterie. This local chef of ours. And so I've had his charcuterie board and he does a lot of his own, um, meat making. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, that's a terrible way to say it, but, um, he'll do a lot of his own stuff and he'll get cheeses. I know when, one night he came out and said, what do we got? Well, it wasn't for a charcuterie board. He was, but his sous chef was telling me about a, um, no, his chef de cuisine, sorry, was telling me where well, we got this blue cheese aged in a cave in Tennessee on the, you know, and all this stuff. And, so they bring in really good cheeses with, um, you know, meats that they have produced. Um, had an inter- interesting conversation. Your mom and I were at at a at a doctor visit once, and her, we were talking about we we got off the subject of medical, and uh, this doctor said his son was in charge of the charcuterie program at a restaurant in Asheville, which you know, which is where we once lived, where you were born, and so. That's the thing now that it's not just charcuterie, it's a charcuterie program. Yeah. So you're not just buying sausage and slicing it up and throwing it on a wood piece of wood. You're, you're really making it a craft Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where charcuterie has gone. I don't know if we're on the downside of that or the upside of that trend right now, but I feel like, um, that's going to continue for a little while. Yeah. And it's such a social food. I mean, when we go hang out with friends and stuff, we pretty commonly, uh, we have one group of friends that will have a charcuterie board and it's, it's just a social food. You know, you're sitting there, you're kind of around the charcuterie board, grabbing crackers, meat. It's a, it's usually light fare. So you can talk. Uh-huh. 
So it, I'm, I, I personally, I don't know if you've, you've said it already. I personally am a fan of a charcuterie board. I love the meat cheese combos. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the charcuterie board. What about yourself? Well, you know, I think you see that in a restaurant. A lot of times you see it as an appetizer. It is definitely. And, and I, I like, I like it. Like when we get it, I enjoy it. But when it comes to appetizers, I usually will go another direction. But I think I, I need, I think I need to play with it some and, you know, use it when we do have social events. Cause you know, we're, we're big party goers here at mm-hmm. Hacienda Reed. But um, that's what we should do, dad. When I come down for, I don't know when this video will post uh, or podcast episode will post, but when I come down for Lauren's wedding, we need to do like a charcuterie board together um, and experience that to see if we like it. That's a fabulous idea. Cause we're going to have a lot of people around. Like you said, when you, there's a lot of folks around and we have, uh, we could do a charcuterie table. We could just set go. up the, set up the, uh, the, the little table in the kitchen and just make that our charcuterie board. There's a couple of businesses that do it for sure. That's a fabulous idea. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what it is. It is time for our favorites. So, Dad, what is your favorite for this episode? Well, I'm kind of going with a theme. I don't know which which episode will air first, but I know I mentioned um, or or will mention. <laughs> I don't know how this goes, but um, in any case, it's been a good season for weird ice cream. And I, like I said, I this may sound like a broken record, but um, Walmart has had, um, two different sort of special edition ice creams mm-hmm. or ice cream brands, uh, over the past few months. And one of them I cannot pronounce, but it looks like Van Leeuwen. It's Van, of course, L-E-E-U-W-E-N. Uh, it's French ice cream, which is very rich and creamy. It was wonderful. And the most unique thing about this ice cream is the flavors that it came in. Mm-hmm. So let's let's just talk about the flavor just a minute because there was one batch, and this is one that I happened to see was coming and um, was able to to get to Walmart the pretty much the day they put them on the shelf. And so it worked out quite well for me. Um, but there was like six or seven flavors, and I'm trying to pull up the list here. So they had... And I, I got a lot of sort of feedback is the word I want to use. Uh, some of it was not all good feedback. Some people liked it. Some people did not. Some people liked it. Some people did not. But I think a lot of the people that didn't like it didn't try it mm-hmm. or, or were unwilling to try it. And here's why. Some of the flavors were out there. Kraft macaroni and cheese. Pizza. Pizza. Uh, I'm trying to find this list of, of other flavors here. Uh, um, it was like lavender wedding cake, hot honey. Right. There was a uh, something about the earth, which was a matcha and uh, I can't even remember the word. I didn't see that one. Um, bourbon cherries jubilee, which that was pretty normal. Um, and then you had the wild blueberry shortcakes. That was pretty normal. 
That was a good one. Royal Wedding Cake. I think you might have mentioned that. And that was kind of like elderflower hmm. and something. That was a little bit elderflower and lemon. That was a little bit flowery for me. The pizza one was it had like little chunks. It was a cream cheese base. It had little chunks of what you might call crust. Uh, but the tomato, the sauce was like a tomato jam. So it, it was sweet. Mm. It had a sweet component to it. Um, the hot honey was very good. I like, like the a honey. little crunch to it. Um, I'm trying to look at these other flavors. So that I think we might have covered most of them. But the thing about the, I guess what I want people to hear is like the Kraft macaroni and cheese. It really did taste like Kraft macaroni mm. and cheese. I don't know if they bought the powder from Kraft or whatever, but they definitely. <laughs> Um, it, it definitely was the right flavor. Uh -huh. Um, I like the pizza. Like okay, my, my brother, I believe he, if I, I don't want to misquote him, but I think some, some of his family tried the pizza and were like, no, this mm -hmm. is not going to happen. Um, so, you know, not everybody liked it, but I, to me, it was like, you, you have to come out this, come at these flavors with a different, uh, attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be. If you're looking for Ben and Jerry chunks and swirls, you know, tonight dough with cookie dough and all that stuff, I, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about wildness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're okay with that, uh, you know, if, if you don't like wild flavors, that's fine. But I went into it like saying, okay, this is pretty good. You know, uh, no, no, no bite of ice cream went uneaten. There you go. Mine. And now, as we broadcast, this may be coming into Walmart's. Now they have five new flavors. Uh, some are odd, some are not. One summer peach crisp. That should be delicious. Normal. Espresso Fior de Latte chip. So that's going to be a coffee, coffee ice. chocolate chip. The Fior de Latte is kind of a, just a cream flavor of, of gelato. Um, honey cornbread with strawberry jam. I've, I've already seen some comments on this one that says that's their favorite. Um, that sounds delicious. Campfire s'mores. I'm, I'm sure Standard. you figure out what that's that's going to be. But here's the weird one of this batch: gray poupon with salted pretzels. I'm not even sure what gray poupon is. Oh my gosh! Are you serious? Is that like duck? Gray poupon is Dijon mustard. It's oh. a very famous Dijon mustard. So this is going to be a pretzel and mustard. That's going to be a sh ice cream. It's going to be a pungent uh, ice cream. It will be sharp, but just to, to wind this discussion up, I think if you think, if you ever watch chopped, you know, people come up with all sorts of weird, sweet ice creams mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So my, my philosophy is people have eaten a lot more strange things on chopped than, than is in these ice cream tubs and, and judges who know what they're doing have applauded it. So. So I, I'm all for this Van Liu, Van Liu and ice cream. I like it. I like it. So my uh, flavors this week are going to be falling under the realm of board games because I love them. Uh, and I'm actually going to recommend two, uh, what is called a roll and write. Uh, so those listening at home, you have probably seen or have played Yahtzee, uh, which is a, a common really roll and write. So you roll the dice or you might flip a card and then 
you have to write on your own particular board points or stuff like that. Um, so the first one I'm going to recommend is called Quinto. Um, so it is a roll and write where you're just going to roll three dice or one die or two die. And then you have a little sheet and you have to write numbers in ascending order um, on that sheet. And the higher the numbers go, the more points you get. And then you can bust sometimes so you can roll and you can't put it on. So it's negative points. It's a short takes. It's like 15 bucks to buy off Amazon, maybe 12 and gameplay for four to five people is like 15 minutes. So they're short, they're quick. A lot of tension huh. from just rolling a couple dice. Dad, I'm gonna, probably going to bring it when we come visit. There you um, go. So yeah, super fun, super short, roll and write. Uh, one of our favorite, we call it a filler game, so we'll play it if we have like 10, 15 minutes in between bigger games or something like that. And then strategy. if you are feeling something a little bit more heavier based in the roll and write category, I would like to recommend Cartographers by Thunderwork Games. So you take place in a fantasy world, and you are a map maker. Uh, so you're going around and you have certain scoring conditions. So you might have to have a uh, forest around a mountain or stuff like that. And they're random across the board. Uh, but you flip these cards and they have Tetris shapes on them. So it might be the long skinny, but it might be uh, blue water or gray, yellow fields and stuff like that. And you have to draw them on your little map. Um, and then sometimes there's monsters attack and they are negative points and stuff like that. So it's just a really fun game. It takes about 45 minutes, uh, 30 to 45. And it's just, if anybody has played Tetris before, uh, you can pick up on the gameplay very quickly. So it's just a lot okay. of fun. Well, Tetris has always been one of my favorite. It's a classic for a reason. There you go. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed it and think others might enjoy it too, please share, please rate with all the stars and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever platform you found us and they are legion. You can find us on the worldwide interweb at Vittle Vital Pod on Instagram and the Twitter Vittles and Vitals Podcast on Facebook and we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea of a subject you'd like to hear us cover, shoot us a DM and remember, if it's vital look for the Vittles. <laughs>